The Tucker Carlson spying story gets even more extraordinary. This story is a huge deal. Then Republicans, so frustrating, are about to make the same old mistake they always make leading up to the 2022 midterm elections. Plus, the Supreme Court has a history of overturning bad precedent, and the Roberts Court should follow that precedent on the abortion case that they're going to hear this fall. And of course, the five stories the mainstream media refuse to report to you. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, speaking of something millions of people across the country suffer from, let's talk about Nutrafol for a moment. When it comes to thinning hair, you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that work. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. That's what I'm talking about. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. 21 potent natural ingredients support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. But healthier hair does take time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code LIZ to save $15 off your first month's subscription, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. We're going to talk about the Tucker Carlson story. I've been following this pretty closely from the beginning because I know that the mainstream media likes to make a big deal about Tucker Carlson's stories and his coverage, his show, but it would be awfully weird to make an allegation this serious without having the backing to do so. So I've been paying attention to the story from the beginning. And the less the mainstream media talks about the facts of the story or the specifics of the allegation, and the more the Democrats scoff at such, a, such an allegation, the more we know that this is a threat to the fundamental freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. What I'm talking about is Tucker's allegation that the NSA snooped on and read his text messages and emails and then gave the contents of those text messages and emails to a Washington-based journalist. As I said, this is a big deal. Tucker was notified because a whistleblower at the NSA told him, called him, and said, hey, the NSA is reading your emails, and he proved, he or she proved he knew what he was talking about by giving Tucker information that was only possible for him to know from the emails or text messages of Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson said he didn't share this, uh, what he was emailing about the topic with anybody, even his wife, except for his executive producer. Now, the NSA, when they were asked, of course, they never specifically denied Tucker's allegation. Instead, they used the slippery language of guilty persons to deny random other things like Tucker Carlson wasn't the target of an investigation. Okay, Tucker Carlson never said that he was. He said that the NSA read his emails. Did they? The NSA refused to deny that specifically. The press secretary, Jen Psaki, dodged the question too when asked. She was asked, is the administration aware of any espionage or listening efforts on U.S. citizens by the NSA? And is Tucker Carlson one of them? So of course she dodged the question. She said, well, the NSA is an entity that focuses on foreign threats and individuals who are attempting to do us harm on foreign soil. So that's their purview. But beyond that, I would point you to the intelligence community. So basically she said nothing. That's just word, a word salad. It's absolute garbage. So that's the first part of the story. And I said at the onset that I've seen no reason not to believe Tucker Carlson based on the facts of what he's saying and the fact that the NSA did not deny his allegation. 
So then the next iteration of this story, Tucker Carlson reports that the intelligence community actually leaked that information in his emails to the mainstream media. This is his specific allegation. He said, late this spring, I contacted a couple of people I thought could help us get an interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. I told nobody I was doing this other than my executive producer, Justin Wells. I wasn't embarrassed about trying to interview Putin. He's obviously newsworthy. I'm an American citizen. I can interview anyone I want, and I plan to. But still, in this case, I decided to keep it quiet. I figured that any kind of publicity would rattle the Russians and make the interview less likely to happen. But the Biden administration found out anyway by reading my emails. I learned from a whistleblower at the NSA at the NSA planned to leak the contents of those emails to media outlets. Why would they do that? Well, the point, of course, was to paint me as a disloyal American, a Russian operative. Been called that before. He says, a stooge of the Kremlin, a traitor doing the bidding of a foreign adversary. End quote. Axios confirmed all of this, by the way. This is not just reported by Tucker Carlson. Now, by law, remember, the NSA is required to keep quiet the name of American citizens whose communications are incidentally collected in NSA spying on foreign adversaries. What that means is if the NSA was lawfully and appropriately listening to the conversations, whether that's text, whether that's phone, whether that's email, of some of Putin's cronies, that's appropriate. But if, while listening into those conversations, an innocent American is, has their emails snooped or their conversations recorded, they are spied on in any way, that American's name must be masked. Tucker Carlson's name should never have appeared as Tucker Carlson. It should have just said American citizen, perhaps American reporter, American journalist. It never should have identified who he was. So that brings us to the first question. Who unmasked Tucker's name? Who did this? And who knew about it? Now, this is important because it was obvious from his emails that he was asking for an interview with Vladimir Putin. It was obvious that he wasn't committing treason. There would have been no justifiable reason to unmask Tucker's name. None. So who, who unmasked this? Who ordered this to be unmasked? And who knew about it? And then, who leaked the emails to the press? Who knew about all of this? This NSA behavior, ironically, is the same kind of behavior Putin himself engages in. He wages against anybody who dares to disagree with him or challenge his tyrannical hold on the Russian people. But we must have accountability. I've talked about, we've talked about on this show, the idea of the administrative state, how the administrative state is the deep state. The administrative state is the swamp creatures in Washington, D.C. Well, this is the outgrowth of it. If you don't have accountability at these executive agencies, including the intelligence agencies, this is what happens. These swamp creatures who are accountable to no one violate the rights of American citizens, just like this. I personally have lost all faith in the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, all the alphabet soup agencies, and I tell you this with sadness because I spent my young adult years with such admiration for these agencies. I read extensively the history of the intelligence community in our country. I love espionage books, code-breaking books, the women who cracked codes that helped lead to the end of World War II, William and Elizabeth Friedman, their pioneering work in cryptology, the spies that helped deceive the Nazis before D-Day about whether the assault would happen at Normandy or another place. These people are heroes who changed the course of the free world for the better. And now these same agencies that they helped found, they helped form, they helped mold not so heroic anymore. Now we have an intelligence community staffed with creeps, partisan operatives unafraid to break the law and weaponize the power of the federal government to take down their political opponents. Tucker's right when he says it's a banana republic when your own government acts against you. And there's leftists 
justifying this spying. It used to be that leftists spoke out the most against government, the federal government spying on the American citizen. But now we have a man named Gavin Coble, for example. He's a former Democrat Party operative. He said, and I quote, it's common practice to monitor communication of adversaries, especially when that communication comes from within the United States. This is entirely legitimate and legal, end quote. He sounds just like the NSA. He's not, he's not being properly contextual in what he's talking about. Sure, maybe it's proper to snoop on Putin. Maybe it's proper to snoop on Putin's operatives. But is it proper to snoop on an American citizen who was not committing treason in his communication? No, that's illegal. If you want it to be legal, fine, try to change the law. But right now it's illegal and it's dangerous. Then we had these other, these other folks, and I, I don't, they're not even all leftists. Some of them are Republican, so-called Republican never Trumpers who mocked Tucker Carlson instead of being concerned that a government is so overbearing, could become so dangerous by spying on citizens. Eric Swalwell and Jonah Goldberg, Brian Stelter, Oliver Darcy, Molly Jong Fast, Aaron Rupar, Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt, Philip Bump, Vice, Vanity Fair, Vox, they all mocked Tucker Carlson. Now, this surprises me less, by the way, from the politicians, because we know left, leftist politicians are gladly accept help from the NSA and taking down their political opponents. But journalists, news outlets, where's the outrage here from other journalists? This is an assault on the free press. All of these organizations that pretended, they spoke loudly when President Trump called them names. They pretended that was an assault on their, their freedom of the press when it wasn't. Where's their outrage at this? This is an actual assault on freedom of the press. This is the question that I have for my fellow commentators, my fellow journalists. What happens when this is turned on you? Or perhaps you're so confident that the NSA and other alphabet soup agencies, you're so confident that they're spying on American citizens will be successful at taking conservative pundits off the air, stifling their opinions, and taking down duly elected presidents, that you aren't worried another Republican will ever be elected. The sheer ignorance of these people is appalling and embarrassing. Our public schools have failed so miserably to educate students about the abuses that authoritarian governments have inflicted on their people that these former students have grown into government bureaucrats with zero qualms about harnessing the vast power of the government against the power that they've sworn, the people that they've sworn to protect and serve. But make no mistake, if it can happen to General Michael Flynn, if it can happen to President Donald Trump, if it can happen to Tucker Carlson, it can and it will happen to you just as soon as you're a threat to the Democrats' radical leftist ideology. Speaking of invasions of privacy, especially on the web, let's talk about ExpressVPN and how you can secure your web browsing experience. There are a lot of things that we both search for online that aren't anybody's business. And maybe in this case, we're not even talking, we're not even talking about Google searches. Maybe we're talking about when we visit our email. Maybe we're talking about keywords, uh, keywords of other searches that we put into the web. You could go incognito mode on private mode, but that's not enough. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider snoops on you. They can see every single website that you have ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN because not only do internet service providers snoop on the websites you visit, they can then legally sell your information to ad companies so that the ad companies can target you. What an incredible invasion of privacy. So ExpressVPN protects against this. They're an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites you visit. They keep your information secure by encrypting your data 
All you have to do is tap a button and you're protected. So protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Liz. Expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more. Protect yourself online because you need to. Okay, this next soundbite that I want you to listen to is extremely significant to the upcoming midterm elections. Extremely significant. This is Congresswoman Stefanik talking about the strategy the Republicans are going to utilize going into the midterm elections. Take a listen. Republicans are going to focus on economic growth and focus on how we are the party of tax cuts and not tax hikes. As you pointed out, President Biden has proposed trillions and trillions of dollars of new taxes, whether it's increasing the rate of the debt tax through the step up or whether it's uh, getting rid of our tax sovereignty and farming it out to Europeans, which puts American workers and American companies at a disadvantage. It's particularly troubling, Larry, because we're coming out of a pandemic and we still have over 9 million Americans who are unemployed. We need to focus on job creation, not policies such as higher taxes, which will lead to job losses. And I think the polling is quite interesting. This resonates not just with Republicans, but with Democrats and independents as well. I know in my district at this time, particularly as Americans are facing inflation, the highest rate since 2008, the last thing they want is higher taxes. The death tax, yeah. That's what young voters care about, the death tax. Now, don't get me wrong. Stefanik's right about policy, but she's very, very wrong about the strategy here. The Republican Party should not present themselves to be the party of tax cuts, not tax hikes to young voters if they want to win in 2022. Here's why. Republicans need one seat to claim the Senate and five to control the House in 2022. And history shows that they have a high likelihood of doing that. Since World War II, the party of the president, in this case, the Democratic Party, since Biden's a Democrat, loses an average of 25 seats in the House of Representatives in the midterm election of the president's first term. So in other words, this midterm election is the Republicans to lose. They ought to win it if they play it right. It is theirs to lose and by a wide margin. But this wonky messaging coming from Elise Stefanik is problematic. This is why the Republican Party struggles with young people. Jobs are important. They are, of course. But right now, there are more jobs than people who want to fill them because of the Democrats' bloated unemployment benefits. So tax hikes, is that what we're worried about? Tax cuts, is that what we're worried about when people aren't paying taxes because they're not filling these jobs? There might be some misplaced messaging here. This is what the Republican Party needs to do if they wanna win back 2022. They need to be bulldogs. Don't try to be bipartisan. Be bulldogs, be fighters. If there's one thing that Republicans should learn from the last five years in politics, It's that conservative voters want bold leadership. They want someone to fight corruption. They want someone to fight election fraud. They want someone to fight Russian collusion narratives, to fight against the swamp creatures and the FBI and the Department of Justice, and now the NSA. Republicans need to hammer the failed policies of the Democratic Party. Gun control in inner cities. Has restricting people's Second Amendment rights done anything to secure the safety of families in inner cities? No, it has not. And that's Democrats' fault. The welfare state has caused us to go into tremendous debt and it has not done anything to help people get back on their feet. If Republicans want to win in 2022, they need to talk about Biden's radical ideology. He's no moderate. He's not a centrist. He's not there to be Mr. Nice Guy and work with Republicans. No, no. Biden and his cronies, the people who he has surrounded himself with, 
want a socialist-style healthcare system, which the American people, by the way, reject. Biden and his administration want a Green New Deal. They want to ban fossil fuels. They want taxpayer-funded abortion. This is radical, extreme stuff. This isn't even the Democrat Party of Bill Clinton. That's what you need to remind voters. This is the party of Ilhan Omar and AOC. This is the party of socialists, the party of Marxists. And because the American people don't want socialism and Marxism, Democrats lie about their true intentions. Because, and this is very important. We're not just calling out lies because they're lies in and of themselves. It's important to call out lies because if the Democrats believed voters wanted to accept Democrat policies, then Democrats would just tell voters what the policy is, truthfully. But Democrats don't believe that voters will accept their policies if Democrats tell the truth. So Democrats lie to try to trick voters into supporting their policies. This is true with the infrastructure bill. Remember Democrats' infrastructure bill. Everything is now defined as infrastructure. Climate change, socialist healthcare, destroying the suburbs, all infrastructure. Massive spending on things that have nothing whatsoever to do with roads and bridges. Infrastructure, according to the left. Well, why do they do that? Because they know when they try to sell a Green New Deal directly, people don't want it. So they make the infrastructure deal essentially the Green New Deal. Same with the election security bill. This isn't, this isn't about securing our elections. This isn't about voter suppression, preventing voter suppression. It is a federal takeover of elections. And item by item, whether this is voter ID, whether this is ballot harvesting, whether it's state, whether it's state control of their elections, the American people reject the Democrat policies, so the Democrats hide it. This is what Republicans need to say if they want to win in 2022. Law and order is another issue. This is how radical the left is. AOC says that the American people should not overreact to crime. This is her quote, it's unbelievable. She says, I wanna make sure that this doesn't drive a hysteria and that we look at these numbers in context so that we can make responsible decisions about what to do. So if you care about law and order, if you care about the rising crime rate, if you care about the homicide rate in our country, then AOC thinks you're being hysterical. Meanwhile, Cori Bush, who thinks black people aren't free, she also recently drafted a piece of legislation that would research alternatives to policing and alternatives to incarceration. So she not only wants to defund the police, she wants to abolish the police and abolish prisons. Can you imagine? The American people do not want this because defunding the police is what's leading to the high crime in our country. It's hurting communities of color the most. In fact, crime expert Sean Kennedy, he's from the Maryland Public Policy Institute, he says, we talked about this uh, previously, briefly, he says the Black Lives Matter narrative and the agenda of defunding the police is actually increasing the number of black people that are killed in our country. Here's why. He said there were 4,000 excess homicides in 2020. This is a quote from him. Preliminary statistics show murders rose by 35% across 60 of the nation's largest cities. Nationwide FBI data through September show a 21% jump in homicide and an 8.3% increase in aggravated assaults, including those by gun. Aggravated assaults and shootings climbed nearly by, or climbed by roughly 10% over the summer and fall of 2020. 55% of homicide victims whose race was known were black. This is according to the FBI. That means that the Black Lives Matter agenda caused at least 2,200 excess homicides last year. Why? Because, according to new research from the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, police stops and arrests have declined by 48% on average in 10 major cities from June of 2020 to February of 2021. The results of that are murders rose 56% in those cities over that specific time period. Why? Because of the defund the police rhetoric coming from the left. They embraced it. Make 
them own it. Play offense here, Republicans, or you're not gonna win. Play offense on the culture war. Reject critical race theory. Introduce patriotism instead. Reject the transgender ideology and embrace science. Reject cancel culture and embrace free speech. Uh, reject everything that will restrict your First Amendment right. Embrace religious liberty. Embrace school choice. If Republicans do that, if they are relentless in hammering radical leftist politicians like Newsom and Cuomo, Ilhan Omar and Pelosi, that will win them seats in 2022. And then you can talk about taxes. According to a Pew Research report or survey, the number of voters who care about healthcare affordability is 86%. That's in both parties. 82% of voters care about the budget deficit. 84% of voters care about violent crime. This is significant. 77% of Americans care about illegal immigration. Both parties, their top issues are violent crime, healthcare affordability, and the quality of public K-12 schools. So what should be the narrative for, Demo or for Republicans is to say this, to say on every issue, here's what you care about. We understand, we hear you, and here's how our conservative limited government policies best serves you and what you care about. That should be the narrative, but only if the Republican Party wants to win in 2022. Otherwise, go with the current party, no tax hikes, blah, blah, blah. Okay, speaking of conversations that sometimes even Republicans aren't happy about. If you have been following me over the last year, you know that I have been censored time and time again by Facebook and YouTube. They demonetize my videos, they restrict my reach, and I don't want big tech to control my ability to communicate important stories to you. So I partnered with Locals to create a censorship-free community. Locals is a platform, in case you didn't know, launched by free speech fanatic. He's also my friend, Dave Rubin. And it's a place where we can share the unfiltered, unapologetic truth about the mainstream media and the left's lies without the fear of being shut down by the corporate overlords. So I'd like to invite you today to become a Liz Wheeler Show VIP. I have a lot of exciting things coming up, and I talk regularly with my VIPs for opinions and feedbacks. I also share behind-the-scenes looks at my show, the research, sometimes the filming process. I have exclusive segments of my show just for VIPs, and all of my interviews will be shared on Locals for VIPs to watch. I also take questions directly from VIPs for video mailbag segments that I do on YouTube, and you'll get episodes of my show free from ads. The monthly subscription is $9, but if you really want a good deal, and you know you do, you can sign up for the annual option right now for just $72. That's four months free, four months. So come support the show and let's get to know each other. Become a Liz Wheeler Show VIP today at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. That's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. When you join, say hi to me. Okay, the Supreme Court, let's talk about the Supreme Court. Um, it's a super quick but important note that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I want to share uh, what I've been thinking about. This is about the Supreme Court and precedent. So we've talked before how there's this unique divide in the Supreme Court right now. Instead of being conservative justices and liberal justices, it's uh, divided in three. It's, it's divided in three in the following way. Of course, the liberals, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. And then we have the originalists, uh, mostly, Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. But then we have Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett creating this third wing of the Supreme Court. And they are conservative-ish on some issues, but they're very hesitant to overturn precedent. And that's the main, the main part of what separates them from Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. And this is, this is very problematic. And I was thinking more about this because I've been losing hope uh, for the abortion case that's coming in front of the Supreme Court this fall. And I want to tell you why, because we can fix this. When we lose hope for something, it doesn't mean that hope can't be regained. But it is discouraging to see the way that Kavanaugh and Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett have been ruling 
And the problem is their view on precedent. So here's what I mean. Last week, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case of Arlene's Flowers versus the state of Washington. Now, this case, Arlene's Flowers versus Washington, is essentially the same case as Masterpiece Cake Shop. But remember, the ruling on Masterpiece Cake Shop from the Supreme Court was so very narrow that there was no precedent for other people who were in the exact same scenario. That was frustrating at the time. I called that out at the time. Now, the case of Arlene's Flowers, Arlene's Flowers declined to provide or to custom design flower arrangements for a same-sex wedding because that violated her religious conscience, her religious belief about marriage being between one man and one woman. And now, because she was sued, the florist is arguing that the state of Washington's non-discrimination law infringed on her religious rights. This should be a very cut and dry case. It should have had precedent set by Masterpiece Cake Shop. It didn't because of the Roberts Court. But this one certainly should be cut and dry. But the Supreme Court rejected hearing it. They declined to hear this case. So disappointing. But here's the thing. Who declined? How come this was declined? Well, Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch, this conservative originalist branch of the Supreme Court, they all gave indication that they voted to hear the case. It only takes one other justice to vote to hear the case for it to be heard. You only have to have four. That means all other six justices voted not to hear Arlene's Flowers versus Washington. I mean, this is devastating. I was so disappointed when I heard this, more so because it means Amy Coney Barrett voted not to hear the case. I expect this. Cynically, I expect that from Roberts and Kavanaugh, but I had higher hopes from Amy Coney Barrett because we examined her views on precedent around her confirmation hearing. I examined her views on precedent because the left was accusing her of, of being going buck wild on overturning precedent. So I did some research on her philosophy on stare decisis, which is, that's the legal philosophy of precedent. And she actually discussed the idea of precedent in a law review article at the University of Colorado Law Review. And it was this one, it was in this article where she cited Planned Parenthood versus Casey. This is why the left at the time was going nuts because they accused her of obviously having an agenda to overturn Roe v. Wade. But she actually cited Planned Parenthood versus Casey as an example of competing beliefs about whether the ruling was constitutional or not and whether judges should follow precedent if the precedent-setting ruling was wrong. Okay, so, I mean, that's a million-dollar question, right? If a precedent-setting ruling is wrong, where does the loyalty of the Supreme Court justice lie? To the Constitution? If so, then that should be, that, that ruling, even if it's set precedent, should be overturned. But there's this jurisprudence on precedent that's practiced by so many of our judges right now that's, that hold precedent on a higher platform than the Constitution itself. So th- this is actually interesting because what leftists were accusing Amy Coney Barrett of doing or going to do potentially at the Supreme Court, just obliterate precedent, Amy Coney Barrett said no such thing. She actually, this is a quote from her article. She said, both courts and commentators, quote, have thought about the kinds of reliance interests that justify keeping an erroneous decision on the books. Interesting, because now she seems to be on that wing where she's uncomfortable with the idea of overturning precedent even when it's wrong. This is, this is a wrong jurisprudence, if I may be so bold. The U.S. has a history of overturning precedent when it is wrong, when that precedent is wrong. Because something is settled law, settled law, because it is precedent, meaning it's been applied and reapplied, that doesn't mean that it's permanent. It can be overturned, and it should be. 
And these are, the, these are the most significant examples from the history of our country. Dred Scott versus Sanford. The Supreme Court ruled that black people weren't citizens. And the 14th Amendment overruled Dred Scott. In Plessy versus Ferguson, the Supreme Court ruled to uphold racial segregation. That was precedent for 60 years in our country. And then it was overturned by Brown versus Board of Education. 60 years that was precedent until it was overturned, but it was overturned rightfully because the original precedent was obviously wrong. So this applies to the Roe v. Wade case coming up in the fall in our country too. Roe v. Wade is not constitutional. It's not constitutional law. As the law clerk who clerked for Justice Harry Blackmun, who was the, major- the author of the majority in Roe, said it doesn't even give the pretense of being constitutional law. It's invented. It's caused 60 million abortions to happen legally in our country since this ruling. This is wrong and it ought to be overturned. And if those interests that Amy Coney Barrett is talking about, if the interests of the lives of those 60 million babies and however many more would be aborted if Roe is not overturned, don't outweigh the precedent, then what are you doing on the Supreme Court? Just some thoughts that I was having about the Supreme Court. This is why I'm worried about the the abortion case because the jurisprudence of these conservative justices seems too hesitant and they seem to to be hesitant to overturn precedent for the sake of precedent and that's just wrong. It's obviously wrong. Okay, now it is time for my favorite part of the show, the five stories the mainstream media won't report. Boy, do we have some doozies today. First up, a Black Lives Matter chapter in the state of Utah declares that the American flag is a hate symbol. A hate symbol. Again, this is the Utah chapter of Black Lives Matter, and this is what they posted on their Facebook. And I quote, When we Black Americans see this flag, we know the person flying it is not safe to be around. When we see this flag, we know the person flying it is a racist. When we see this flag, we know the person flying it lives in a different America than we do. When we see this flag, we question your intelligence. We know to avoid you, it is a symbol of hatred. You might think, well, maybe they're talking about a swastika. No, the American flag is what they're talking about. And then when people, when they face backlash for this, when myriads of people push back against this idea that the American flag is a symbol of hatred, they responded by saying, search deep within yourself and ask yourself why you're so triggered when people talk about racism. You're triggered because it makes you feel uncomfortable to know that you are complicit You don't want to hear about it. You just want to continue to perpetuate it without consequences. We do not have to remain silent about it. We will not bow down to you. We will not beg you to stop being racist. We will proactively destroy the systems that continue to give you the power to marginalize people of color, period. End quote. Now I read that because this is what the Black Lives Matter movement is actually about. They're not standing up for people of color. They have no interest in actual police reforms. They do not care about black lives. They are Marxists who are trying to not only delegitimize, but destroy the United States of America. And they are using black people as pawns to do it. But did the mainstream media report this story to you? No, no. You didn't hear this story anywhere. So I'll share it with you. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to shut down a coal plant in Puerto Rico that produces 20% of the electricity in Puerto Rico. AOC just wants to shut it off, she says. Won't cause a problem, won't hurt anybody, because climate, the earth, global warming, 
the earth's gonna die in 12 years or probably 10 years now because she said that two years ago. During a recent hearing at the House Natural Resources Committee, she claimed that shutting down this coal plant um, immediately while keeping the lights on and preventing price increases on the island would be possible. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. In Puerto Rico, the vast majority of the power on the island comes from coal and petroleum, natural gas, and other fossil fuels. It's not a renewable energy island. Only 2.5% comes from, of their energy on this island comes from renewable energy sources. So kudos, and in, in this segment, I'd like to give kudos to independent journalists who actually do cover these important stories when the mainstream media will not. Alex Epstein is the name to give kudos to today. This is what, this is what he has said when he is debunking AOC. This would actually cause a tragedy. He says, global temperatures have only risen by one degree over the past 170 years, and, and climate-related deaths decreased by 98% during the last century. He said, it's truly an existential threat if you threaten the energy supply. We've seen that a little bit in California, even more in Texas this year, where it's not a livable environment if the electricity isn't on. And people in Puerto Rico live with that on a daily basis. In other words, green energy forced on Puerto Rico, a forced closure of this coal plant, banning fossil fuels would be a death sentence for the Puerto Rican people. AOC's grandmother lives there, and she doesn't even care enough to know the truth. But did the mainstream media report on how destructive this policy position of AOC would be? No, no. They don't seem to care one bit. A woman inmate in the state of California, she's in prison. She was abused by her cellmate, and that's horrific enough in and of itself, but her cellmate was a transgender person, meaning a man who identifies as a woman. And unlikely bedfellows sometimes, a radical feminist group called the Women's Liberation Front is now uh, advocating, as they should, really everyone should, if they care about women, is advocating for Governor Newsom to rescind the policy of allowing transgender individuals, males who identify as females, to go into female prisons, into women's prisons, um, because it is a violation of the women's constitutional rights to allow men into their cells. The stories coming from California are horrifying. So this law took effect on January 1st, and the Women's Liberation Front reports they have received complaints of women assaulted, women abused, and women traumatized because of past abuse who are now forced to share cells with male inmates. This is what they say, quote, we're working with a woman who was punched in the face so hard by a new transfer, transgender, that she couldn't chew for three days. He was taken away and released back into a different yard with no restrictions. He was her cellmate. She had to sleep with him. How horrifying is that? Transgender inmates, men who identify as women, are in the women's bathrooms now. And women, biological women who are incarcerated, they have absolutely no control over their privacy. They have to share a shower with nude men. The Women's Liberation Front reports one woman went in there at the shower with two naked men showering who still had penises. These are trans men who say they're transgender. Now, the state of California has 273 transfer requests right now. That is um, people of one birth gender who say they identify as the opposite gender and who are asking to be transferred to the opposite gender prison. 273. Guess how many are men requesting to be put in female prisons? 266. 266 out of 273. 24 males 
have already been transferred to female institutions. This is what's happening. But did the mainstream media report on this? Barely. Barely. Speaking of perhaps not being allowed to talk about things, Facebook has a new policy they're adding to their hate speech policy that essentially will ban the criticism of ideas. The criticism of ideas. So this is what Facebook is adding to their hate speech policy, and I quote, do not post content attacking concepts, institutions, ideas, practices, or beliefs associated with protected, protected characteristics, which are likely to contribute to imminent physical harm, intimidation, or discrimination against the people associated with that protected characteristic. Facebook looks at a range of signs to determine whether there's a threat of harm in the content. These include, but are not limited to, content that could incite imminent violence or intimidation, whether there's a period of heightened tension, such as an election or ongoing conflict, and whether there is a recent history of violence against the targeted protected group. In some cases, we may also consider whether the speaker is a public figure or occupies a position of authority, end quote. Now, you might be wondering, well, what are the protected characteristics of this absolutely Orwellian policy? The protected characteristics, according to Facebook, are race, ethnicity, natural or origin, national origin, disability, religious affiliation, caste, sexual orientation, sex, gender identity, and serious disease. Right. So you can see the problem inherent to this. And th this is a piece that I want to give kudos to reason for publishing, and I will read it to you directly, because it is plausible now, according to applying this policy, according to this policy, that Facebook could ban the following, and I quote, criticisms of religious institutions and belief systems, if Facebook concludes, they seem likely to contribute to imminent discrimination against the targeted religious group. Criticisms of a foreign country or government, China, the Palestinian Authority, in principle, Israel. If Facebook concludes, they seem likely to contribute to imminent discrimination against its citizens or people who share an ethnicity with it. Criticisms of pro-transgender rights or pro-gay rights beliefs. If Facebook concludes, it is likely to contribute to imminent discrimination against sexual minorities. Criticisms of feminism. If Facebook concludes that they seem likely to contribute to imminent discrimination against women. Criticisms of pro-disability rights positions. If Facebook concludes they seem likely to contribute to imminent discrimination against the disabled. So basically, Facebook is now putting into their policy, their hate speech policy, everything, everything. If you criticize even an idea, then Facebook might tell you that your words are actual violence, causing actual discrimination, causing actual harm, and they might silence your opinion on an idea because of that. Facebook is already on a trajectory for demise, and this should be their kiss of death. But did the mainstream media report this? No. Perhaps because they're afraid that it will be codified as hate speech under Facebook's new standards. This next story is absolutely traumatizing. It is disgusting. It is grotesque. Emails from USSF, or UCSF, that is University of California, San Francisco, proves that uh, the harvesting of baby body parts, particularly reproductive organs in aborted babies, is happening under the purview of taxpayer money. Now, of course, those operating this uh, aborted baby body parts chop shop will deny that taxpayer money is going directly to this, but money is fungible, and we know what that means. So this is kudos to Live Action for reporting on this. Live Action reports Pro-Life San Francisco, it's a pro-life group, has long been protesting UCSF and related institutions which operate under the university's banner for their gruesome experiments involving fetal tissue and body parts, including recent experiments involving humanized mice, as well as the egregiously inhumane second trimester abortions, which supply those fetal parts. UCSF receives millions of taxpayer dollars to conduct these experiments, 
which hardly resemble any legitimately purpose-driven science. I mean, this, this stuff, it's hard to even read and I don't want to traumatize anybody listening. So if you want to go to live action and read the whole thing, that's, I encourage you to do so. But this is what live action reports. Fetal body parts are being harvested under the UCSF umbrella from babies aborted at the two UCSF-affiliated Women's Option Center locations. Studies show that the labor induction abortion techniques used in these facilities to procure, quote-unquote, fresh parts can result in live births as often as 50% of the time. So what do these emails reveal? Well, according to live action, UCSF and the Women's Option Centers have no protocol for determining the viability of abortion survivors meaning babies born after botched abortions, born alive after botched abortions, or for providing any healthcare to them. This is a tacit admission of the possibility that abortion survivors are simply left to die without so much as the basic humane provision of care. Pro-Life San Francisco provided live action news with the tissue procurement logs, this is also reported by live action, that they obtained, which are referred to as arrival, departure, and collection lists, presumably referring to the arrival and departure of the procurers themselves. Out of the 43 logs procured, 42 document the harvesting of the baby's genitalia. How disgusting and grotesque is that? Kudos to Live Action for reporting on this and for Pro-Life San Francisco for obtaining the reality of what's happening. Since the mainstream media ignores all of these stories, you will find the reality of what's happening right here from me every time. Now, we have more to talk about as always, but the great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer, says that we are out of time more next week. If you missed any of the episodes this week, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show. Give me a five-star rating. Write me a glowing review. Until next time, think for yourself. Use critical thought. Question authority. Follow the facts. And don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. And production assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.